the orbital analysis leads to a perturbing mass of only 1.6 times the mass of Jupiter. We shall interpret this result as a companion of Bernard's star, which therefore appears to be a planet. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, baby camp. <laughs> yeah, wow. Pete. Matt, yeah, yeah. Peter yeah. Van de Camp, 1963. Have that. Peter Van de Camp, yeah, I know. I know. We'll, we'll get on to... Do you want to talk about it now, or do you want to talk about him later? I'm really excited. So can we talk about it now? We can talk about him now. Let's do it. So, well, yeah. first off, Matt, can you mm-hmm. just give us the uh, outline of what was in the news recently? Well... There was a there was a, a new paper by Ribas Anglada Escude et al uh-huh. called a super Earth planet candidate oh. orbiting at the snow line of Bernard's star. Now this is two point three times the mass of Earth, is it? Yes, it is three point two oh. Earth masses. Okay. Did you go with two point three? Oh no, I think you're right. But Matt, one thing I do know is it's very cold. <laughs> it is. It's very cold. Why is it cold, Jamie? Oh, I actually don't know. Hit me. Uh, because it's orbiting a red dwarf. Oh, that'll be why. Yeah, yeah. It's quite cold. But yeah, I mean, I, now, I suppose it's it, it's it's a long way away. It's on the snow line. It's a long way away from the parent star, sort of, being how the parent star is only a small red dwarf. Matt, do you know my mate Adam can play the theme tune on the guitar to Red Dwarf? It's brilliant. Uh, it's his like little party trick. Do 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 Yeah, he does the whole lot. It's brilliant. Wow. Um, anyway, so yeah, this is this is exciting news. I mean, yes, we know how far away it is. It's further than Centuri, but it's still only a little very bit. cool, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it's the it's kind of. This has become so. Yes, they they think they've discovered a planet going round Bernard's star, Bernard's star, and uh, that will make it the second closest known exoplanet to Earth. So both of these, Jamie, have happened while we've been doing the podcast. Don't you think that's really amazing? Yeah, that's true. That is amazing. That is they, amazing. There really couldn't be anyone closer than Proxima Centauri, but the uh, Prox B. Uh, but uh, there might be some round Centauri A and B, but they're hunting for them. But they have found one round Bernard's star. So this is six light years away, am I right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, I think we should leave now. Yeah, we should just definitely got get on with it. Now, the reason why I included that quote, Jamie, in the notes, the Peter van der Kamp notes, uh-huh. quote, is because he thought he'd found a planet way back in the 60s trawling through uh, data, photographic data, from 1916 to 1962. He he basically looked through all of that and found that there was telltale wobbles of the star and concluded that it must be a planet. Got it. Uh, But, however... He said it was a 1.6 Jupiter-mass planet 
in a 4.4 AU orbit, which isn't right. However, it turned out that the reason why he was picking up a planet was some errors in the... It was basically his equipment was just a little bit error-prone and a little bit not as good as it should have been. So he kind of falsely declared a planet around Bernard's star. However... The excitement from that exoplanet discovery that wasn't a discovery really did like spur on quite a lot of things. Like, um, for example, the British Interplanetary Society's famous Daedalus project, correct? Which was which was to get to Bernard's star in in less than fifty years. So, which which sounds like it'd be easy, right? It's the it's a like the the fourth nearest star. Get there in yeah. fifty years. But no, you do you do have to uh, you do have to absolutely tank it in twelve percent of the speed of light. And I've never know, heard someone say that, Matt. Tank it. I'm going to use it. it from now on. Absolutely tank it. Uh, yeah, and and the and the tanks have said Daedalus spacecraft, a nuclear pulse engine spacecraft would be made full of. Helium three that you'd mine from Jupiter, that kind of craziness. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. So huge, huge undertaking. John. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's no mean feat. And it would fly straight by, so it would be going twelve percent the speed of light as it whizzed by Bernard's star. But mm. it would certainly give us our first glimpse of another world. So it's not actually in the bag, by the way. This one, no. And, and and if you think about it, it's not really surprising it's not in the bag because, it, <laughs> I mean, this is just ridiculous when you think about it. The the Doppler shift, the method that was used, uh, is basically measuring how the, 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 the star's getting pulled and pushed by, its, uh, by a planet that's nearby. Hmm. And that pull and push basically moves the star by a kind of walking pace. Oh. So the change in color caused by, say, you walk or you running at me, your change of right. color in terms of your Doppler shift is detectable by these telescopes from thirty-five thousand billion miles away, <laughs> huh? or half a million times further away than the sun. So damn, yeah. And so, so like literally, the, the star is moving walking pace back and forth, and we can detect that movement. Um, but it has—it's a monumental ev- effort. This is this is seven hundred and seventy-one measurements using seven different instruments. So lots of space telescopes and ground telescopes. Sure, uh, and eighteen years of data. Uh, and just basically a monumental effort to get this first hint at this planet. Not a hundred percent confirmed, but it's 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 looking very very lightly. Matt, could you imagine all of this effort, and then it got there, and then it just it just didn't work. The data didn't get back. Be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? What what if you built what if you built Daedalus and you sent it off? And imagine yeah. that they just went. Oh, it switched itself off. Oh no! Oh my God! It's way, it's way too cold there. 
Well, we should maybe do uh, maybe we should do an episode of of space probe failures because I'm sure it it certainly wouldn't be the first time that that kind of thing had happened, right? I think we're due one. I think we're due one. Oh no, no, no! Because uh, one way we might be able to actually even see this new planet that they've discovered around Bernard Star is using the Hubble Space Telescope. Not Very sorry, true. sorry. Is no, not using the Hubble. Hubble's James not powerful enough. The James Webb uh, telescope, or uh, W first, which is a coronagraph. So a coronagraph is a special type of telescope that's able to separate the light out of the parent star and the and the planet around it. So Ooh, that's that's nice. That's a project that's a little bit onny offy. Uh, hopefully that they'll get funding for W first, but it's one of the big observatories that they're trying to build at the moment. But uh, it's 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 in a slightly in doubt. But yes, in terms of looking at those kind of things, W first and James Webb might be able to see it. That's very so, exciting. Matt, isn't it? Matt, have I told you how excited I am about James Webb? I mean, <laughs> I can't quite, I can't quite contain it. Can you yeah. imagine what it's going to be able to show us? I can, but the, the but, but I think a lot. I th- I've got a horrible feeling that when James Webb flies, I, I hope it will be okay, and if it starts working. But don't you think that that a lot of the data that it's going to uh, build will be amazing in the same way that Gaia is amazing and Chandra is amazing and Newton's amazing and all these different space telescopes have been amazing. But Hubble has been especially as one that's kind of really lived in the, in the imagination of people because it oh, takes, of course. A, because it takes actual pictures that people can sort of see and, and kind of go, wow, look at that amazing picture of the cosmos. Whereas James Webb won't really take that kind of picture. It's working in a dif- different frequency of light. So yeah, I'm more thinking about the, the data that we're going to get back from this thing. Yeah. It's going to be able to tell oh, yeah. us stuff about exoplanets that we just haven't a clue about now. Yeah. Oh, totally. And an and actual fact, uh, it's the same with all these massive ground-based telescopes that they're building as well. The, the, there's a whole bunch of like mega telescopes over the next 10 years that will come online. And I think it's going to be a very exciting time for astronomy. For sure. Basically, basically watch this space. Mm. So See what I did there, there is, Matt. Very, uh, very watch clever. This, watch this space. I like it. Yeah. We should mention that this is part of the, that the, this was discovered via the Red Dots collaboration. Yes, we should. Uh, uh, which was also the collaboration that was responsible for finding Proxima Centauri B. Mm. Did you know that Bernard Star is twice the age of the sun? Whoa! Didn't know so, that. Yeah, so that actually makes you realise you're kind of the age of the galaxy and how actually we're, our sun's quite a young one, and um, there's been lots of other solar systems been around a hell of a lot longer than ours. If you think about it, that planet may have been there twice as long as our solar system. Who knows what treasures may be found there? Yeah, that's that is nuts. If you think about it, that is nuts. Um. It's really Bernard Star, by the way, is so faint you can't really see it with the naked eye. And it was really oh. only it was only discovered by 
uh, Bernard himself, the person who it's named after, uh, because he was like a pioneer of astrophotography. Mm, yes. Well, I think uh, we should have a drink uh, this weekend. Yeah. Raise a glass to him. Yes, absolutely. Bernard Star. Now, we, there is a British connection here, you know, other than Go the... On. Other than Daedalus, of course, which is possibly the first ever real attempt to look at the feasibility of getting to Bernard's star, um, Arthur C. Clarke and Douglas Adams both wrote about planets around Bernard's star. So, how about that? And and your favourite, Blur, the Britpop oh, yes. band Blur, wrote a song called Far Out that mentions Bernard's star. That absolutely is true. In fact, I was listening to Under the West Way on the way home. Beautiful No song. way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Hey, Matt. Mm. What do you reckon the space word of the week is? Uh, well, we gave it away last week, didn't we, when we were in a rush. Uh, by the way, if you hit, but listeners, if you hear traffic, it's because I'm still moving and I'm parked outside of a storage unit with the, <laughs> with the traffic going past. So, so you think we're in an expensive studio because we're big-time space podcasters. Matt <laughs> well, is in a car park of a storage facility. What, what was funny is we, we, we did actually have the choice of doing it in Metropolis Studios this week, but yeah, it, was, but it, it wasn't, didn't quite work out logistically, so it's big yellow storage. Because <laughs> Matt's big. gone and left me. He's moved. Uh, so, yes, Space World of the Week. Is well, it's three words, but hit me. Home and transfer orbit. H T O. I thought it's worth talking about this because obviously you need these to get around the solar system, or do you? I'm going to get onto one of my. Uh, when I was looking at this, one of the exciting things at the end that I really love, but uh-huh. I love home home and transfer orbit, is. Is basically one of the easiest ways to get from one planet to another. So if you want to go from Earth to the moon or Earth to Mars, you have this elliptical orbit that's just basically a transfer between two circular orbits that are in the same plane, just like the planets are, right? Got it. Um, yeah. Named after Walter Hohmann, who was a German scientist who published a description of the Hohmann transfer in a book in 1925 called <laughs> I can already feel the complaints coming in. Matt, you might have to wipe your windscreen down. Yeah, you, uh, I reckon that you're so good at German, though, that you can translate that, can't you, Jamie? Well, it basically means the attainability of celestial bodies. Wow. Roughly, trans- roughly translated. R- roughly translated, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, he was sort of basically, yeah, you can, you, can get to, um, you can get to Mars and the other places by using this, basically the lowest possible amount of energy travelling between two objects. That's, that make, it makes sense, doesn't it, Matt, financially? Yeah, yes. Uh, and, of course, it, it kind of invents the word launch window because you, you have to go at a certain time when the planets are in a certain alignment to be able to use it, to be able to use the home and transfer. So you've got to imagine that your spacecraft is sitting on the launch pad and it's already in orbit around the sun when it's on the launch pad, yeah? Because it's on planet Earth. 
So it's already it. doing one elliptical orbit. Uh, and 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 that actually means that you've that the launch window for Earth to Mars, for example, has to occur once every 24, 25 months or so, which is why if you miss your t- 2018 window, you've got to wait until 2020. Hmm. So there we go. So everything going to Mars now, we have to wait until 2020. I was going to say, go. this is why everything going to Mars or coming back from Mars is not a quick thing. Because we have no. to wait for the planets to align, don't we? Yeah, we have to wait, wait for them to be in the in the exact kind of positions. Um, and not only that, it also determines how quickly you can kind of do it as well. So uh, the home and transfer for, for Earth to Mars is nine months-ish. Yeah. So hmm. basically you fly up and you, you're in orbit around the sun and then you do one really high thrust engine impulse the shorter the better and that takes you into this elliptical orbit and then to get out of the elliptical orbit into the circular orbit of the of of mars you need this extra thrust again to get back into the uh, into the orbit of mars and basically when you look at it 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 just looks like you've you've set off and and mars comes around and you you just meet it just at the right time so it's all very, very kind of balletic when you look at look at how it's done. It is absolutely amazing, isn't it? It is really cool. You can you can kind of speed up the time a little bit by using low thrust engines like ion engines, uh, which is like things like the Vasimir uh, engines, but it actually takes slightly more energy to actually do them. So it requires more delta V. But because the specific impulse of low thrust engines is actually better, usually, it means that that compensates for the higher delta V. So you can actually get there quicker, and you can and you actually use less fuel. So it's an interesting one. There's a little bit. There's a there's a kind of balancing act there as well. And really that's is. why that that's why that that's why that specific impulse is so important, Jamie, and, and used all the time. Well, this is what we need to understand. I think that people are quite clever, aren't they, Matt? They are really clever. And um, um, my favourite one, my favourite of all these types of orbits is one that takes even less than the Hohmann transfer that was that was kind of uncovered in 1997. And it's, orbits, it's a set of orbits known as the Interplanetary Transport Network, or ITN. Surely the, we get royalties from that, no? Yeah, we would have thought so. Well, it's named oh, hang after on a minute, us. That- they started first, didn't they? Oh, oh, damn. It's kind of named after us, I think. Yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Matt, if you fl- if you went into a, a wormhole mm-hmm. and then you came out the other side... Yeah. Then... I, I don't know what I'm... I, I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just stop, let's just stop it there before I I might even leave that in because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, by the end of the podcast, I will have figured it out. Yeah, okay. Well, tell us, tell us, listeners, keep listening to find out what Jamie means. That's a hell <laughs> right. of a cliffhanger, isn't that, it? It is. God, it's really amazing. I'm, even I'm yeah. quite excited about it. So, yeah. yes, the, the Interplanetary Transport Network, this is really, really cool, but you need a lot of time, a lot of time for these to work. But mm. basically, you know all the Lagrange points that we talk about? Every now oh, and yeah, then. you love them. I love them. 
Well, the interplanetary transport network kind of works on them. So imagine that all the planets have got these. Imagine like all the planets are uh, big heavy weights, bowling balls and things like that spread across a big rubber sheet. Yeah. The undulations of that rubbish, rubber sheet through all the sort of Lagrangian points uh, actually means that you could place like a, a, a tiny ball bearing on there and it will slowly drift into these gravity wells and sort of slide around from planet to planet. And you can actually do it with virtually really low amounts of energy to actually get from one place to another. And that's the interplanetary transport network. And it's really uh, I cool. I just love your metaphors. So, yeah, so the, uh, how cool is that? The, the home and transfer orbit is our space phrase of the week. <laughs> Well, uh, it's, it's, it's the feature everyone wanted. Yeah. We should do it on this day in November the 16th, Jamie. There was an English uh-huh. astronomer called John Russell Hind. Oh, yeah. Who discovered asteroid 22, Calliope, which has a little moon, Linus. Oh, hello, Linus. So, uh, Sounds yeah. like a little puppy, doesn't it? That John Russell Hind, he was, he was very good at finding uh, variable stars and things like that. Uh, uh, but he also found quite a quite a load of asteroids. English astronomer, 1852, discovered 22 Galliope. But the really exciting one, and, and I must confess, I don't really know much about Skylab, but 45 years ago today, in 1973, mm-hmm. Skylab 4. Th- third manned mission? Yeah, the, the third manned mission, that's correct. I'm always confused by this, and it turns out that there was some kind of miscommunication, um, which meant that the emblems for Skylabs 2, 3, and 4 looked like Skylab 1, Skylab 2, and Skylab 3. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so sometimes Skylab 4 is known as Skylab 3. Yeah, it's not the best system. No, I mean, it's like totally ridiculous. I mean, how could they have cocked it up? <laughs> it just seems ridiculous. Yeah. But who, who some... was around that board meeting? Oh, no, it's crazy. But there's, there's some cool things that happened on Skylab 4 that are worth talking about. Go on. First of, yeah, well, first of all, it was a Saturn 1B rocket, 1973, blasting oh, off. Oh, yeah. Tick. The astronauts, Carr, Gibson, and Pogue. So That's that a strong quite... lineup. That's a strong lineup, isn't it? Well, they were all, they were the largest all rookie crew, so never been to space before, uh, launched by NASA. And they were the last ones that were launched as a, as a complete rookie cl- crew until STS 2 of Engel and Truly, who, who, by the way, STS 2, the second shuttle flight, was the first time in mankind's history that a manned spacecraft. A manned spacecraft had been into space twice. Really? Yeah. There Whoa. you go. Whoa. I mean, obvious. It's almost obvious when you think about it, but it definitely... You forget how ace the space shuttle was in terms of, like, how ace it was. <laughs> well, it's just but, ridiculous. But, but back, to, back, to, back to our rookie crew uh, from 1973 on Skylab 4... So they they managed uh-huh. to do four EVAs between uh, four EVAs between them, but two of them doing three and Pogue only doing two. Now, 
Al Alan Bean. Up, oh, bless him. The, the, oh. And oh. Jack Jack Lusma and Owen Garriott. Owen Garriott being the father of Brit astronaut Garriott. Yes. Yeah, who we talked about the other day on the podcast. That's right. Uh, um, uh, they had been Skylab three or Skylab two, if you looked at the emblem, <laughs> and and they'd left behind hilariously. They they'd set up the spacesuits or the flight suits inside Skylab as like mannequin dummies. <laughs> so the very oh. first thing I, I must admit, I I actually would get a little bit disturbed by that. So the very first thing they see when they sort of open up the airlock are, are three astronauts standing in the. Stand, yes, when they're so not expecting weird. them, it's like, whoa, what's this? Yeah. Um, uh, but and then then they all got told off by Alan Shepard, America's first man in space. Yeah, he he told them off because they hadn't told flight surgeons that Pogue was suffering from space sickness, and they kind of found out by listening to uh, uh, listening to recordings. I was like, what the hell are you doing? So they got they all got told off. Oh, it's not <laughs> what you then, want, is it? No. And then they almost had a mutiny because they they just couldn't keep up with the kind of workload that the previous astronauts had done. They were finding it really, really hard. Everything was in the wrong place. And they were really very, very close to mutiny, apparently. apparently. Bloody so, hell. Yeah, so they had Sounds to have like some... the film, Matt, Event Horizon. Although that's yeah, probably d- a little bit worse. I was thinking more mutiny on the bounty. Oh, yeah. Bletcher! Bletcher! <laughs> Is that your Anthony so, Hopkins impression? It was. It wasn't very good. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty good. It was, Where was yeah. he from again? Wales. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if I did my Indian accent, it would sound like... like yeah, yeah, uh, it would sound the same. <laughs> sound like uh, Anthony Hopkins. Down in the valleys. Was that Indian? Sorry to our Welsh listeners. <laughs> but um, I can see Wales from my house, by the way. Just thought I'd let you know. Yeah, I really Aww. can. Um so they had a little radio conference. Everyone calmed down. Everyone calmed down. They came up with a new schedule for them. And basically, they they by the end of the mission, they'd completed more work than was originally planned. So it obviously worked. And so all those important lessons were taken off and uh, have been used in manned spaceflight work schedules ever since. Well, they, cool? well, that proves a point, doesn't it? Yeah. That you that just because something goes wrong, the only failure is the failure to learn from a failure. Yes, That's why, yes. Finally, yes. someone said it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Matt, do you know what I heard today? Someone said, on, "The only silly question is the one you don't ask." Oh, that's excellent. I should say it's that to my a, students. It's, lots of it's a very it's a very business chat. That isn't it. Yeah, that's very good business chat. I love it. Do you play? Uh, do you play uh, business buzzword bingo? No, you... I should do. Yeah, it's 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 a great game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they they uh, they they um, despite being told not to, they did take photographs of Area Fifty One. Uh huh. There was a bit of controversy about that, but they did they see any aliens? Well, the pictures were published. With all the other Skylab images, and hmm. no one ever noticed, so they remained sure. unnoticed for years and years and years. So there you go. There's nothing at Area 51 apart from like experimental aircraft. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so, guess how far they went oh. in their, in Skylab 4 mission, on the Skylab 4 mission? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say it's far. It is far. It is far. I'll give you a clue. They went 1,214 times around the Earth. How many... How many miles do you think that clocked up? Oh, Matt, don't don't give me that. Come on. I don't. I just don't know. It hit me. Well, it's it's just pi r squared multiplied by one thousand two hundred fourteen, where r is two hundred and fifty kilometers plus the radius of the Earth. So it's obviously thirty four point five so? million miles. <laughs> well, I should I should have just known. Yes, 34.5 million miles they travelled. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Would you travel that far for me, Matt, if I needed you to? Um, yes, of course I like would. Like if I'd forgotten my if I'd forgotten my uh, microphone mm-hmm. and I was like, Matt, can you bring it to uh, Venus, please? You said Venus, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It's um, so silly, but it's still fun, isn't it? It is very funny. Uh, get this. They also took a picture. Gibson yeah. took a picture of a... Uh, they were watching a sort of bright sunspot intensify and grow, and mm-hmm. Gibson started filming it, and it's the first ever recording from space of a solar flare, the birth of a solar flare. Oh, no way. And actually, Imagine- the, the, the image is really cool. God, it'd be lovely to say that you were the first one to capture that, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And they also studied a comet called Comet Kohutek. Oh. Yeah. Kohutek. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so they did quite a lot of science up. They did quite a lot of science up in Skylab. And then that was it. Well, I would like to say thank you to Skylab. And to yeah. all those that sail in her. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my God, Jamie. Did you hear about Rogozin? I did. <laughs> this is this is absolutely genius. I read this. This in, is amazing. Yeah. Give us the, so, give us the bullet points. <laughs> so, uh, apparently, Rogozin uh, was having a go, really... In in no uncertain terms, everyone was sort of laughing nervously when he was sort of saying, um, maybe the constructors should test their rockets in the same way that Stalin used to make tank makers check their tanks. Yeah. So Stalin used to go around the factories and he would pick up a machine gun, get the people who made the tanks to sit in the tank while he fired machine guns at it. It's uh, so, yeah, it's totally normal. Not at all mentally <laughs> ill behaviour. <laughs> Not at all psycho. No, so no. yeah, Rogozin was basically saying that to all his um, workers, saying, "Right, we should uh, the people who are constructing the rockets, they should be the people sitting on it, sitting on them when they're tested." It's like yeah. what? Yeah, I think he wow. should just sit back down. <laughs> um. Yeah. We did Rocket Lab flew successfully this week, making it did. Uh, new. Yeah, so New Zealand have a uh, beautiful commercial launch vehicle. Well, congratulations from us. Yeah, well done. And of course, there's a pie chance that that same uh, rocket vehicle 
will be flying in a slightly different guise from Scotland in the next five years or so. Okay, the new. Okay, the new. It's been uh, it's been fee week in ESA this week, which has been it has yeah. Although it's been spelt with the great Greek letter fee, so uh, it was quite hard to work out what it was actually called. So fee week, and it's all about using. Earth observation satellites and, and getting commercial. That's quite a cool symbol, actually, Matt. I think we should get tattoos of that. I, I have. I've, I've already got it tattooed across my eyes. <laughs> it's not at all outrageous. So the you heard about the? Did you hear about the meteorite impact? No. So um, this is really cool. So uh, they found uh, using NASA data and, and various satellite data. They've yeah. discovered an absolutely enormous crater under the Greenland ice sheet. Oh, wow. Um, How yeah, big is the crater? Uh, it is it's 19 miles in diameter and 1,000 feet deep. Oh, that's big. Yeah. So that is... That's a a very very big impact. I don't think they read. I don't think they know quite how big that is yet because they can't work out what what angle it came in at and what speed and all those things because they've obviously haven't just haven't got that data yet uh, in terms of they haven't been able to analyze the crater up close enough. Um, but yeah, Did it's it kill under any a, dinosaurs, Matt. Well, no, they think they think it's a bit early. It's a bit early to tell, but they think it definitely caused, yeah, one of these thousand-year-long um, cool periods. So, yeah, it's... Or, it, or not, it, it, not cool for the dinosaurs. Well, I don't know when it was. No, I no, I think it's... No, I think it's much more recent than that. It's... Um, no, this is in human times. They think oh. it might... They think it might have been responsible for uh wiping out a certain group of humans and wiping out the mammoths woolly mammoths bloody hell it, it so might, we're talking it might... we're talking uh, uh, well below 200,000 years anyway oh no it's about it i think it's something like uh, 12,000 years ago or something wow yeah and it's and it's one of the 25 largest impact wow. craters on earth Matt, yeah, i said it like discovered. christopher walken then wow <laughs> so i need to work on that you do need to work on it. Hey, Matt, I, you know I, what? I read a tweet. That... I read a tweet today mm-hmm. that said um, someone made up what they thought a dinosaur sounds like, hmm. <laughs> and it's like, it's, <laughs> of course, it's true. I mean, all the movies you hear that <clears throat> that's just someone's interpretation of what they think it sounds like. Yeah, I quite, I quite They're... enjoyed that. There are some, yeah. I mean, it's quite likely that most dinosaurs didn't make a noise. Uh, it, but there are that, but that, yeah, there are those dinosaurs that have the kind of trumpet uh, nose thing going on, and they're fairly certain they know the noise that they make because you can work it out kind of using. Is it like smooth acoustic. jazz? Yeah, they 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 kind of made a smooth jazz sound. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Co- more uh, more Coltrane than than um, what's his face? Okay, Miles Davis. <laughs> You're thinking who's the other who's the other trumpet player I know? And not only that, in a really similar in a really similar kind of news article, I got kind of confused mm. between the crater and this one. Is that um, 
ESA had a gravity mapping satellite called Gochi, G-O-C-E, uh-huh. and um, lots and lots of data people have been pouring through. And they finally kind of uh, pieced together what they think is the remnants of lost continents hidden under the ice sheets of Antarctica this time. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's from Germany's Kiel University. So it, I need that's to really, see that in pictures. Yeah. So how cool is that? So using satellites in space, we found a crater under half a mile of ice in northwest Greenland. And under ice, like probably even deeper ice in the Antarctica, the the lost continents, remnants of lost continents. How cool is that? Just looking at the link now. That's just amazing. I'm going to read up about that tonight. Yeah. Oh, no, it's totally cool. That's my kind of pornography, Matt. So, Jamie. Yeah. What do people have to do to, uh, to, to help us out? Well, I think the first thing that they should do, Matt, is go to interplanetary.org.uk. They should Have definitely I got that right? do that. You should definitely, yes, yes, that's, that's yeah. cool. And, and that will show you all of our, I mean, you could go to iTunes and leave a nice review. Mm-hmm. You could go mm-hmm. to our Instagram account and click follow and enjoy oh, all of what? the... Uh, uh, me, me and Matt are in a competition at the moment. See who can yeah. get the most likes. I think I'm winning. Look up this weekend, Matt. Look into the sky and think... Think about... Uh, you know, think about the super Earth spinning around Bernard Star. Uh, only 35,000 billion miles away. And Matt, if anyone's got a question about it... <laughs> Yeah, how can they get in touch with us? Uh, they they should they should they can they can go via the website. They can go via Patreon. They can. Just... Have we got Have we got a Twitter account? Uh, we got a Twitter account. Do you know Big what time. we've we've had some great suggestions for for up and coming shows. People wanted to hear more about exoplanets, and we were in luck because we did have an exoplanet uh, discovery this week, and. Um, but uh, uh, the one that we really want to do, don't we, Jamie, is uh, talk about icy moons and ocean worlds. I'm, I really want to do that. I want to so, do water on planets and moons. Yeah. So hopefully uh, next week, if we if we because re- I just we just didn't have time, did we, to, to kind of cobble together nah. all the information this week. So en- Enceladus and Europa, I think we we need to do a deep dive. Literally, we do. I think Literally. as mankind, we need to do a deep Literally dive. Literally, a of beneath those. the surface dive. Yes. So we'll do it. So tune in next week for our icy moon special. Thanks for listening. Bye bye, Spodcats. Bye. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and being so kind. Normal service (laughs) resuming next week. Bye-bye. Done.